0: us your name and a brief about yourself
1: sure um so i'm kate shelby uh in my professional life i'm a community manager so i work in the digital space full-time but i'm also a mother of three children i have a 13 year old he'll be 14 in four months and he was born with a brain tumor and he now lives with a acquired brain injury, and he also also has a uh, diagnosis of autism. He's not intellectually impaired, so he's quite um you know, he can talk, he's high functioning. Um, but I have definitely experienced some very, very big um mountains <laughs> we've crossed with basically him going through puberty and becoming, Uh, becoming a man
0: okay so can you please share uh, um, your son's experience the experience you had from his childhood to sure and all those things can you share with us
1: yeah so my son um he was, after he was born, he was about four months old uh, when he was diagnosed. He had a tumour on the outs of, outside of his skull covering about um, a third of his brain. And then on the inside of his brain, he had a tumour that was about one by two centimetres. He had chemo for about two years. He had a couple of surgeries. Um by the time he was four, he was in, in remission. However, now he lives with a permanent brain injury and it causes a lot of different um, obstacles such as emotional regulation, behavioural regulation, social anxiety. There's a very long list of uh, post cancer issues that come up, especially in children. So it's been a difficult a difficult ride for him.
0: Okay. Um, how was his childhood like growing up?
1: Very hard. I mean if you can imagine the first four years of life he's lived almost primarily in hospital. Even when you're allowed to take your child home from hospital, there's those constant visits back. So they really don't get a lot of socialization with other children. So I feel like he started his life at four. That's when he started meeting other kids and interacting with them. And of course, he missed out on that crucial time where you're learning to walk, learning to talk. Because he was he was in you know confined to a cot for so much longer than your average child. So that really affected him socially and he had to quickly catch up to other children. And I found that he was often misunderstood, which you, you know, with anyone it's a two-way street. It's certainly not always the other person's fault. But when you misunderstood can leave you feeling angry and um, there was a lot of conflict at school so a lot of bullying but also a lot of him not understanding people's personal space as well and just not knowing how to function so there was a lot of therapy involved and he's doing a, a lot better now but it's very difficult to navigate school life and social life when you're so far behind everybody else and very hard to get people to understand what you're going through. When you don't have a voice at that age, you don't know how to let people know. Mm, Exactly. So I feel that now that he's he's almost 14, he has started to get that voice and he's started to be able to verbalise what is feeling a bit better but I think uh, I I know as a teenager I myself struggled to process certain things and I had nothing wrong so you can imagine a child with autism or a child with a brain injury um, has to just work a lot harder to process all of that that's going on and and navigate all of that
0: how was the support from the family when you were going to all those early years of hospi- hospital? How was the support from the family like?
1: The support, medi- medically, um, the support has been fantastic. The support from um, family and friends, as far as that um, post-cancer rehabilitation and navigating the issues that come with a brain injury, it's very, very hard to expect people to understand and, and support you because they just don't know how. And sometimes I find when people get too involved, it, it's, it can make things harder. So you have to be very mindful of who's supporting you and how because everybody wants to be in your corner But it doesn't mean that they should be Um, because when you've got a teenager, you're navigating everybody else's opinions. You know, he shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. If I was you, I'd be handling this a certain way. Well, the only supports now that I accept are people that are just unconditionally there for my child and there for me. And I found that's made a big difference is cutting out the noise. So I do have great supports, but I have definitely let some of those supports go simply because they're not the right people. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I understand that. Um, you know, a lot of time when someone goes through what he went through in his early age the society or the community, sometimes the stigmatization is there. How is it like in your community the stigmatization?
1: I, um, I would love to say that it's great, but it, it certainly hasn't been. Um, it's a very complex diagnosis when you have a comorbid issue like autism and a brain injury. So I found schools been the hardest there's been some people that are fantastic and they work really hard and then all it takes is for another person to come along and undo a lot of that hard work simply because um, they're ignorant to a lot of the issues that people with autism have um, or they think that they can just fix a person with autism rather than helping them cope and strategize they want to just fix the child or they expect the child to fix themselves or they expect the parent to fix the child so we've we took a long time to find the right supports in in the way of therapists Uh, once we found the right therapists we things really started to move forward a lot better but school is, is the hardest. My son's been homeschooling now for three years and I find that community is a much better place for him because you've got parents who are in the same situation and completely understand uh, what your child's tendencies are, the kind of behaviours they have and why they why they do it and how to approach them correctly when they're doing those behaviours. So... I think school has a long way to go, particularly here in Australia, understanding, um, but the homeschool community, I have to say, have been absolutely fantastic.
0: Um, have you ever had any doubts why he suffered um, such a uh, brain tumor as a little boy? Did you ever think maybe there was something wrong with that? like do you have doubts did you oh all the time okay
1: all the time i think um it it's completely normal as a parent to um for instance some days you might have really bad days and and think is my child just a bad child or does he have autism is it something else or is it my fault that he has autism um while all those things I know are a lot of those thoughts are not true, when you're under stress as a parent, those thoughts happen. Um, Particularly even with the cancer, I went through a period of time where I thought maybe the cancer was my fault. Was it something I ate during pregnancy or something I did during pregnancy? So I think you're sort of constantly having these thoughts, but I just generally just keep on regrouping and reminding myself that those doubts and thoughts are not going to help him Uh, what's going to help him is like a proactive attitude about what we're going to do from here Um, and you have to have faith I sometimes I have thoughts where I think oh no this is this is it for the rest of our lives but that's usually on a bad day most days, I think it'll be okay. We'll get there.
0: Okay. So um, you were talking about having faith. So in his earlier days, did you ever think that he would be able to pull to cancer?
1: Oh, I I was heavily influenced in the early days by doctors and specialists that he wouldn't make it. Um, that's simply because the type of um tumour he had, they really didn't know anything about it. and it it wasn't looking good at all around the six months, mark. And luckily, yeah, we, he just it's a bit of a miracle how he pulled through. Nobody really knows. But I definitely thought that I wouldn't be taking my son home. I was told that I wouldn't be taking my son home. By the time he reached around nine months old, he was still on chemo, but things did a backflip and I just suddenly thought, no, it's it's going to be okay. He's going to pull through this. He's come this far. I think as a parent you start to develop um, a faith, because you've been through so much, you have to tell yourself that we got this far, we're not going to give up now, it'll be okay. And look, sometimes it's not okay, but in our in our situation, thankfully, it was. But yeah, definitely, when he, particularly when he was a baby, I did not think he was going to make it.
0: Okay. Can you share with us how strong he is?
1: Oh. Well, to get through what he got through, the children children are resilient. I I feel they're much more resilient than adults. But I'll give you one example: is my son had a piece of his skull removed to get into to remove some of his tumor, and it was sort of like a small slice of pizza shape. And after that operation, he was only given Panadol. There was I, I couldn't believe it that they didn't um, give him any other drugs. Like when us as adults have an operation, we usually have very strong painkillers afterwards, or yeah. a little button that you press; it just gives you the painkillers. Yeah. But no, yeah. he um, he was only on Panadol and Neurofan occasionally to keep the swelling down. And he didn't cry. He had half of his face was swollen beyond belief. Um, and, yeah, he didn't cry. He just powered on through.
0: Then he's a very strong boy.
1: Yes, he's also strong-headed now that he's a teenager. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, you know he some what can happen with with children that go through a situation like that and as they get older and they develop their anxieties and there's there's some PTSD around that as well is they have an a need to be in control of everything so, when they feel out of control, they'll do anything to sort of regain that control and they're very headstrong. So even if it's not necessarily the right um, way to do it, they, they want control so badly, they'll just steamroll and <laughs> and steamroll everyone out the way and <laughs> to have it their own way because it's that control is like their security blanket.
0: And um, how, how did or how has the PTSD affected him? Because in some people, it affects them really hard. Yes. Um, how, how has it been like with the son?
1: It is, um, it's such a complex diagnosis, PTSD, and a lot of people don't understand that you could get two people that go through the exact same trauma and one will come out feeling the PTSD mildly and uh, and the other person will come out and the P- PTSD will cripple everything they do. My son has felt the PTSD in an extreme way. Um, he is crippled by anxiety when it comes to interacting socially and there are a lot of things that trigger him um whether it be, because it's not just what he went through medically, it's what he went through after that as well, being accepted by his peers at school. Um, My son has facial paralysis, so one side of his face is um, paralysed and that's sort of quite a difficult thing confidence-wise. So if somebody gets a camera out and tries to take a picture of him, he becomes extremely stressed out. So those things that an average person might be slightly bothered by, he's extremely agitated and stressed by, and it's because of the PTSD. So it, it definitely affects him on a daily basis.
0: Okay. So earlier, you um, before we, we came on this show, you told me that he... he um, he experiences everything in tenfold so how are you able to accept his opinions not so that um, you know if you don't accept it well he might think that you are rejecting his ideas and all those things so how are you able to cope with his um, suggestions and uh, correct him in such a way that you will not feel rejected
1: Yeah, look, I think it's really important with um, teenagers to if you can meet on middle ground, providing that those opinions aren't damaging or hurtful in any way to somebody else. But if you can meet on middle ground and avoid conflict, that's fantastic. But if it's an opinion that needs to be corrected, then just open discussion there. There is a way to have a discussion without shaming the person for how they feel. And I think it's something that adults need to work on as well. Uh, We see it all the time in social media. Right now we're in a climate where it seems to be a trend to shame other people's opinion and almost treat them like they're a bad person. Well, they're not a bad person. They're just misinformed. So I just think it's important to sit down and have an open discussion and present the facts and present resources that they can access to help educate them because you're not going to sway anybody's opinion by just shaming them, telling them they're wrong. Um, And sometimes I think it's important as an adult to really look at what your teenager is saying and ask yourself, are they actually wrong? Or is it just society that says they're wrong? So it really depends on the topic, obviously. But we just we just have a rule in our home that we discuss. We don't fight. We don't argue. Okay.
0: Um, so let, um, let's shift our attention to the early puberty. You told me he experienced early puberty.
1: Yeah, so one of the unfortunate side effects of chemotherapy can be uh, starting puberty early. That started uh, around eight years old. So, uh, of course, developing much faster than your peers, uh, facial hair and a much deeper voice than your peers. And also, as he has a brain injury, processing those emotions are a lot harder. So... Things like aggression and excitement are are amplified. Uh, Something that, you know, you might laugh at, my son will get really excited and start bouncing off the couch over. So feeling those emotions really, really strongly has been something um, that we've had to work on. And sweating the small stuff, you know, getting very anxious over tiny little things, is definitely something I noticed became more common during the puberty phase. But overall, he's been fantastic as far as accepting bodily changes and accepting um, what's happening to him physically. He's been great like that. But emotionally, there's been a lot of work there and a lot of patience from me. I have to continually remind myself that I have to stay calm and I have to, be logical during that process, so he can stay calm.
0: Okay. So how did he take it, you know, first of all from suffering um, brain tumour in your early days and now um, early periods, how did he take um, those things together?
1: I think that he didn't really realise the effect of puberty until it was it's almost over so luckily i'm almost grateful that it did happen early because he was at an age where yes it was happening to him but he didn't really understand it and it's not something that we continually sat down and talked about until the very end of the process and I think he's probably better off going through it now than later because we're almost done and dusted. And he's smart enough um, and worldly enough to understand that. So I think he may be a little grateful as well. Um, And he's always had a mature mindset compared to his peers. So I think he's quietly grateful that he now looks like the children that he likes to socialise with, which are older children. So while emotionally it's been hard for him, there's definitely been some benefits involved and he certainly recognises those. So it's not all doom and gloom. I think he's coped quite well.
0: Um, Normally um, people with autism they find it very difficult to communicate with people. So yeah, the time he he was in school, how was he able to communicate with his friends and colleagues and the teachers? How was he able to communicate with them?
1: So we just put in, we had to continually revisit strategies, but we put in a lot of different tools that he could use. So he had little laminated cards, for instance, where he would have a stop and a go sign in his pockets. So if something was stressing him out, we taught him that rather than react behaviorally, he would take out his little stop sign and hold it up, which means I feel like I'm about to have a meltdown I need to be removed from this situation. Uh, we also had places because children with autism abscond they have a high tendency to run away when things get really hard it's called you know fight or flight they'll either have a big argumented meltdown or they'll run away he did both so he had areas that were designated for him that he could go to if he felt like he was going to run away and, you know, he might have a little corner in the classroom with a beanbag, or there might be a tree that's outside the classroom window that he has permission to go and sit under where the teacher can still see him so he can remove himself from that situation but not have to completely run away. So a lot of it was just about trust between him and the teaching staff and communication between the teaching staff and myself. Um. In the end, it wasn't all those strategies that failed. Unfortunately, the bullying from other children became a little too complex to deal with. So while it wasn't happening 24-7 every day, when it was happening, there were things that I couldn't excuse and things that I could not offer a workaround solution for. And I didn't feel that the school could offer a workaround solution either, so that was my decision to take him out of school. But as far as managing his behaviour, yeah, there's a, there were a lot of great strategies. Another one is um, children with with autism and and children with a brain injury as well. Some of them can get quite fatigued by. Certain physical actions. And one of those was making a really, really thick uh, milkshake that's very hard to drink through a straw and sitting him out in like a timeout space and giving him one of those. And that would fatigue him a little bit. And then he can regulate his behavior a little bit better after that. Okay,
0: so now that he's at home. If you compare it with the time he was in school, can you see any improvements? Like it hasn't been really helpful, or it has just made the situation worse.
1: Oh, it it has been it it's been life changing. Um, he is able to connect online and socialize that way. So he he's been able to find people that he has things. In common with. And the other thing with homeschooling is you have time on your hands. You see, when your child's at school, they have five hours to fit all of this stuff in, including lunch and recess. So teachers are on a time limit. They need your your child to behave now. You know, they don't have an hour to work through one behavioral outburst. Well, we have time on our hands and we don't have outside noise being involved and we don't have other people's opinions being involved we have the ability to sit through and work through things Mm -hmm. and i feel that can be highly educational in itself and also you can choose your own curriculum so there are skills that your child might be really really good at that they can't capitalize on at school because they either don't do it at school or they only do it for a short period during the day. While children with any sort of, whether it be a learning disability, autism di- diagnosis, it's very valuable to focus on their strengths because it gives them an overwhelming amount of confidence when they feel like they're good at something. So we just develop the skills that we we know he really loves and he's really good at, and then we just do a little bit of work on developing the skills that he's not not as passionate about.
0: Okay. Um, so how is he relating with his other uh, siblings at home? Uh, how how does he relate with them?
1: Well, he's got two younger sisters, so uh, one is ten and one is eight, and I'm I'm sure you can. Um, understand that a teenage boy probably isn't really interested in their little sisters but all in all i i think doing quite well i do hear you know friends saying to me about their children fighting all the time and bickering all the time we have a fairly peaceful um relationship between them mm probably not so much with the 8 year old because she's little and she's can be annoying <laughs> but um they they understand him and they're very used to his meltdowns and they think they can see them coming sometimes so they know what to do in that event they know to separate themselves from him they know not to escalate the situation any further. Um, and a lot of that's just been naturally acquired through being a family unit.
0: Okay, great. So, um, back to autism. People with autism, most often they don't like going to places with a lot of people. They like to keep it um, in small groups and all those things. So um, how does a smooth look like during uh, family reunions, Christmas, and those events that bring a whole lot of people together? How, how does it relate and how is it smooth during those events?
1: Yeah, so for those events, uh, we're lucky because our events are exactly the same every year. So we've been doing the same thing since he was about four, about three years old. We just have a small gathering with family and they usually, it's summer during Christmas time here. So they might swim, eat. We keep it down to about three hours. Um, it's when you try and change things up drastically that there's an issue. But in saying that, when you're going to change what you're doing, as long as you have a lot of pre-warnings in place and you sort of map out visually what you're planning to do, where you're planning to go. Because, again, I find that PTSD is the hardest part, um, that need to control and that need to have all the facts and all the information prior to doing anything. So we just prepare him as much as possible. And that way it's not a shock to the system when we do do something new. I've certainly had a lot of trial and error on this. So, you know, we have done spur of the moment trips to places and I've gone, oh, gosh, maybe I should have pre-prepared a little bit better for this. Um, But in saying that, I'm also getting ready for him to be an adult. So we are working towards moving away from having to prep him um, intensely and getting him to learn the skills to prep himself, whether that be researching himself on Google, where we're going, uh, but not relying on everybody around him to sort of give him the information he needs.
0: Um, What does he want to become in the future? Oh, I don't think he
1: knows yet. He knows he wants to be in the digital space or do something with computers. And I would say that is probably a great decision for him because it's where his skills lie. So he really does love video editing. He would do that all day if he could. So I have basically granted him complete permission to spend as much time as he needs to strengthen those skills because I that's where I see him entering the workforce he did have interests as a younger child in things like joining the military or becoming a pilot but unfortunately these are things that he cannot do because of his condition so it, it's it's Uh, you know, there are things that he just won't be able to pursue, but there's plenty of options, plenty of options as well.
0: Um, And I saw his YouTube channel and the videos. I really like them. (laughs) I um, have made a decision
1: as a parent, not to actually watch those and not to get involved because I know that I'm going to nitpick and tell him what he shouldn't, shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, earlier in his earlier years, I did help him with those, but now he has his own channel where he, I think he does Fortnite videos mostly and I do not watch the content because I know what teenagers get up to, and I know the kind of language they use during um, video games. So rather than press down hard on him, I just monitor occasionally, but I don't... Yeah, I do not watch the videos myself. That's his... I let him have his little private space there. Uh, I've just made sure he knows that for everything you do online there are consequences so he he will um, he can take care of himself in that respect
0: um, he's really strong and he's very intelligent because uh, normally it will be hard for someone who went to rent you to get that idea because how he edits his videos, uh, really, really great. My my regards to him, okay?
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay.
0: So all this, wow, from um, the detection of the tumor to hospital to chemo, all this, wow, what has kept you two going? Like, what is, what, what is that motivation, which keeps on motivating you that continue doing it? What was that?
1: Well, I just keep saying to myself that we didn't, you know, come that far and sort of defeat death Um, to just give up. You know, it, it's so much work has been put in certainly couldn't walk away now and at the end of the day he's my child I have a responsibility to take care of him and do the absolute best that I can to to get him to adulthood so I don't think really giving up is actually an option I think I personally made the decision when I had a child that it's it's a it's it's not like getting a dog, you know, <laughs> like it's it's your child. You have to. And I know in this world we have a lot of parents out there that have, you know, do give up. But for me it's just, yeah, that's just not part of the job.
0: Okay. Um, if there's a parent listening to us right now, and then- they have a child who is going through what you went through earlier. What will you tell that person? Because sometimes you may feel down, you may feel weak, that there's nothing they can do about it. What will you tell such a parent?
1: Uh, I think the most important thing is forget society's expectations and forget what the people around you think. Because unless you're walking in the shoes of a parent with autism, you just don't know. So the biggest, um, the biggest step I took during my son's childhood so far is stepping away from worrying about what other people think um, and stepping away from the norm, so to speak, you know, what your child should be doing and how your child should be behaving. None of that pressure and stress is helpful. So cutting all the noise out and just focusing on your relationship with your child is the biggest um, piece of advice I'd give anybody.
0: Okay. So now let's move away from the parents and come to the children. If there's a child listening to us right now, only to that person also.
1: Oh, my goodness. I would say that things do get better because as you grow, you mature, you learn things. Don't be afraid of your mistakes because with every mistake you make, you learn something out of it and you do it better the next time. Um, don't be afraid to. Try new things, even if somebody tells you you won't be good at it because one big hang-up that I have is that people do things to win or people do things only because if they're good at it, you don't have to be perfect. If you enjoy something, just go for it. That's what life's about, isn't it? Not being the best all the time.
0: So, finally, finally, what are your final words to everyone listening to us? What are your final words? Sorry? Is it um, finally? What are your final words? Hang on, you're
1: buzzing a little bit. Now, it's better now.
0: (laughs) Okay. Is it um, what are your final words? Final words?
1: final words final words <laughs> i'd say to parents stay cool and stay calm
0: <laughs> okay so if there's someone listening to this right now and they want to reach out to you where can they find you
1: you can find me at at the kate shelby on facebook That is the best
0: way. Okay. okay, kids. I really want to thank you so much for making time out of your busy schedule to be on this show. I'm really, really grateful. And my regards to your son and everyone. And I, I, I don't, I don't even know how to thank you. Oh, you're I'm welcome.
1: Done. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>
0: okay. Thanks so much. So thank we'll you, that's what we'll OK.